0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm your host Bella and we're here for another week which is exciting. I can't believe we're nearly at the end of May. It's making me feel a little bit sick, I can't lie. That means June is next and then it's July then August and now I'm just reciting the months of the year to you but that is mental. In my head I thought we were in like a solid, like, April. I was like, early April feels about right. I do not feel like we should be about to be entering summer. It has been a year since I finished university. Can we just put that in perspective? It has been a full year. That is disgusting. It feels not long at all. I've nearly worked at Sainsbury's for a year. Well, for Sainsbury's. Not not working in the beauty department anymore. But... Let's do another life update for this week because so much has happened since I've last spoken which has been very exciting. So work at the moment is going fine. It's stressful, I can't lie. It's a lot harder and I'm way more tired than I was before because I'm actually like using my brain. I'm engaging my brain which is not... It's a shock to the system, I can't lie. But this is good because when I go to London it's going to be very similar to this. So I'm glad I've had this as kind of a stepping stone to get back into learning again. So that's been... That's been a curveball, but I'm glad about it. I feel like a good level of tired. And it's been weird because even though I'm way more tired than I was before, I feel so much more productive and I'm so much like like wanting to get things done. Beforehand, when I finished work at Sainsbury's, I've been so bored for all of the day that I literally just wanted to come home and do nothing. Like absolutely nothing. I wasn't even walking to work anymore. I was literally doing fuck all Whereas now, since I've got this new job, I think because I've lost that commute, even though it was only like 10 minutes, I've started playing the piano again, I've started running again, and all these little things that I used to really, really enjoy but then stop doing, I've just managed to find the time for again. So that has been a massive added bonus of it. But I think probably the biggest life update is what I did last week. Well, the weekend just gone. I went to a spa and it was perfect. It was exactly what I needed. I felt so tired before I went and I didn't really want to go. And I've never been to a spa break before. So I was like, is it going to be boring? I don't really know what you do at a spa. But I went with my family and it was lovely. It was so lovely. Lovely. We went in and it was like, rather than it being like a classic spa, it was an old manor house that had been converted into a spa. So it was like you were staying in Castle Howard. It was mad, but it was all a hotel, but it didn't feel like a hotel. It felt like a very like old-fashioned stately home type vibe, which was incredible. And I felt like I'd been away for ages, because this is so different to anything that, that I'd ever done before. And because it was quite like a long, it was a bit of a long car journey and it felt totally out of my environment that I'm like used to, I felt like I had been away for ages ages and ages and ages and it's making me realize that when you go away it's not always about the length of time that you're away for it's more about the quality of the break that you have so even if you just go away from for a night even if you just get out of your environment for one day a few hours or something like that that is better than going to somewhere you know and it's very familiar for a week because I think it's going somewhere new that gets your brain to think in a different way it gets that kind of like it it just puts you in a better headspace, a totally different headspace. But I definitely lowered the tone. I brought all my own face masks to do in the spa. I was not spending £100 on a treatment. I had a little Google and they came up at that and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It made me feel sick. £100? I think not. So I just brought all my own face masks and people were laughing. People were laughing. But it's fine. We move, we move, we move, we move. Oh, So after we went to the... So we arrived, we got checked in. Then we went for a walk around the grounds, which was really pretty. They had, like, a walled garden area and where they grew their own vegetables and also called a vegetable patch. (laughs) And they had... Because it was such an old-fashioned building, they just had loads of land, which was really pretty to walk around. And then we went to the spa area, which was, like, a swimming pool-type, like, saunery, steam room-type thing, which was lovely. And that's where I let myself down with the face masks. And then after that, you went up and got changed. And then you had dinner, which was an adventurous menu, to say the least. Very adventurous. I don't think I'm that fussy with food. I think I'm quite good at eating a variety of things, as long as it's not really meat. I'm not good at meat. But this was, this was adventurous. They didn't, well, they had some veggie options on it, but I was not paying for roasted cauliflower. I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I had monkfish. Terrifying. It was terrifying, but it was actually very nice. I don't know if I'd have it again. I probably would if it was on a menu. I don't think I would purposefully cook it, if that makes sense. It was kind of a weird texture, but I liked it. And I feel like that's an exciting thing about going away Because there wasn't anything else on the menu, I couldn't play it, say, so I had to try something new and that was exciting. Oh, And there was also a piano player playing whilst we ate dinner and that made it feel really special, especially because I went with my family and it was, we used to do family trips all the time, like my bigger extended family, but because of Covid we haven't been able to, so this was the first time that we'd been able to go and I went with like my nana, my auntie, my mum and my sister and my other cousin And it was so nice. And it was special as well because my sister and my cousin, they're starting to grow up a bit now. So they're both 14 going on 15. Which means they're kind of joining the adult table now, if you know what I mean. Like, they're joining more of the adult conversations. They're able to stay up later. They're chatting. You can actually have a conversation. It's not like the 13-year-old drama, if that makes sense. So it was really, really nice. Like, I actually really enjoyed it. And to top it all off, I wake up in the morning about 8-ish And all of a sudden, I hear this like banging drums, like really loud banging drums. And I'm like, we are literally in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. What is going on? And I open my window. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. (laughs) I open my window. And I look like rough. I've just woken up this. I am not a good morning person. Open the window, stick my head out of the window. There is a full photographer, videographer, everything filming this family coming around the side and it was an indian wedding and they were filming the wedding party coming out and they had all these like color i can't remember the word for it but you know that colorful powder paint and it was like a firework display well not fireworks but it was just it was colorful powder that came out like smoke colored smoke that's what i'm trying to describe and they had that and there was the scents all and there was incense and there was so much music and everyone was cheering and dancing and there's just my ugly face popping my head out like an old grandma But it's fine, we moved. But that was incredible. It was incredible. The colours. And it just made me think how British weddings, they're always so serious and so like, do you know what I mean? Just serious and very traditional and boring. But this wedding just felt like a total celebration. Everyone was just in a massive party mood. And honestly, it was just exciting. And that's how I want my wedding to be. I do not want it to be a boring affair, not that I'm even thinking about getting married, but if I was, it is not going to be a boring kind of funeral march, not at all, and then we went down and we had breakfast, and I tried for the first time in my life, right, so it's like a pan of chocolate, but with custard in it, now, sounds weird, it wasn't weird. It was incredible. If you've ever tried those Portugal tarts, like the pastel de nata, I am not saying that right, but we're going to skip over it. It was like that texture, but in a panna chocolat. I don't know what you call them. Probably not a panna chocolate, Panna custard. I don't know. I don't know what the correct terminology is. But Jesus Christ, it was uh, breathtaking because like the coldness and the sweetness and everything. I'm yet to find them. I little don't sell them and that's really upset me, but we move, we move. But overall, it was just a very peaceful trip and they had this cool thing where... So where the hall was, they had their grounds. And then it was like a drop down onto loads of fields. So it looked like the grounds went on for miles and miles and miles, but they didn't. There was just, like, that was the end. And the sheep couldn't get in because of they were lower down, so they couldn't climb up over the wall. So that's such a clever way to add space into your area. But, I mean, that did obviously mean they built their manor house on a bit of a, like, slope-type thing. But it was so smart and it looked incredible. But it was just a brilliant holiday. And then to top it all off, Nini came back from Costa Rica on the day that we got back, and it was so special and exciting. Like, I just felt so happy to see her because it hadn't been. It's been like four months, and since pandemic, this has been the longest time that she'd been away for, or any of us have been away for. And honestly, seeing her again was incredible. It was so happy, and it's weird though because it's just slipped into being the new normal. Like I can't really remember what it was like when she wasn't here and it'll feel really weird again when she goes because tonight I'm heading to Manchester for a week and when I get back she won't be here anymore because she's going off to the Azores to finish her diving internship which is so cool and I'm so jealous and I was meant to be going with her. But guess who landed a job full time? Anyway, we're not sad about that because who I would not be able to afford to move to London if I didn't have this job so we're switching that. I'm very grateful for the job, it's a good thing. Other things that happened is I finished the book about negative bias, which probably comes to the topic of this podcast, really, because it took me a while. It was a fat book. It was hefty. And I find with non-fiction it's not as easy. When I'm reading fiction, I can skip. I skip paragraphs and that's really bad. But I just read and I skip things because you don't really need to read it all. Do you like not really, especially if it's like an exciting part. I just skip what's going on. This you can't do it because each thing leads into the next thing. So that wasn't even a possibility and hence why it took so long because it was already like 300 pages long and the font and everything. But I finished it and I'm so happy I finished it. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today is everything that I learned from that book to save you the two months that it took me to read it. <laughs> so I initially started reading this book. because Louis said something to me and it was just a passing comment on his behalf. It was like... I was complaining about something as per usual. He was like, oh, you're so negative about this. Like, you're always so negative about this thing. I can't remember what he said to you. It was something along the lines of, why are you so negative about this? It's not that bad. And it really stuck. And he didn't mean it to stuck, but it stuck. Because it made me think, I am really quick to complain I can so easily complain about anything and everything, which isn't a good way to be. That's not positive. That's not making good things happen in your life. That's not attracting the life that I want to have and basically pushing the life I want to have away. And so I took it upon myself to solve this because it's not a good way to think. It makes me, especially because I already get quite anxious about things, So if I could manage to switch my brain into thinking more positively, I think I'd focus less on the bad things, be less anxious about the bad things, thus reducing my anxiety as a whole. It was a whole system I thought through. And so I went to the library, walked along to the library, went to the self-help section and found this book called The Power of Bad. I'm just going to go and get it now. Yeah, so it's called The Power of Bad and How to Overcome It by John Turnsey and Roy F. Baumanster. It was a New York Times bestselling authors. They've also written another book called Willpower, which I kind of want to read. I don't think I'll read it soonish. I feel like I need a break from their writing because it's so, it's really good, but it it was a big book. So I'm guessing Willpower is also going to be a big book. But this is the one that I chose and I saw it and I was like, well, that is perfect. That is exactly what I'm looking for. And I opened it up and the intro is... Very insightful and it kind of gives you an introduction to the podcast. So it says, Why does a bad impression last longer than a good one? Why does losing money affect us more than gaining it? What makes phobias so hard to shake? The answer is the negativity biased, or in other words, the power of bad. We are wired to react to bad events more strongly than good ones. It makes sense in evolutionary terms, but in our modern day world, the law of bad is more powerful than ever. It governs our mood, drives marketing and dominates the news. It can explain everything from why wars start or couples divorce to why we mess up job interviews or feud with neighbours. But there is good news. By using smart strategies from new science, we can train our brains to get better at spotting our own negativity bias, fighting back with our rational minds to manage the bad in our lives and even using its power for positive results. As soon as I read that, I was like you have solved it. This is exactly what I was looking for. And so I began reading it and wow, it was incredible. I learned so many things about how our brains work and I just like related with so many things that they were saying. And from reading it, since reading it, I've been able to catch my brain so often jumping to the bad thing. So for example, like the other night I was thinking through, I was like, what best thing happened today? Doing this at the end of my night has massively managed to shift my mindset into being more positive because the other day I was falling asleep. I was like, it's been a shit day. I'm so upset. It's been awful. Just having a proper, this has been an awful day. And then I was like, no, it hasn't been. It actually hasn't been. If we think of how many good things that happened today, they outweigh this one bad thing. There was like seven great things that had happened and one bad thing. But because I had focused on that one bad thing, that was it. I wasn't going to do it anymore. The, the day was a total write-off. And I think this similarly with reviews. This, even if there is 500 reviews saying this is the best book I have ever read, if there is one review saying to me it's bad, it's bad quality, it doesn't work that well, I will instantly write it off. I will write it off and just not really consider it anymore. And that is the power of the negativity biased. I love how this book split up the different chapters as well. It splits up each of the different chapters into a different lesson that you could learn and I found that so helpful because everything kind of, although everything led from A to B to C to D, in each one it was kind of like its own mini book. In each one it had its own like point, evidence, case, proving it and then how to impact that into your own life and I thought that was brilliant. I think the first lesson as well was so impactful that it really made me want to carry on. The first lesson, they describe it as, so they describe it as how bad is bad, enlisting the, enlisting the rational mind. So the first lesson that I learned from this book is how we need to start rationalizing the level of bad against the level of good. So one fact that really stuck out for me was that in our brains we need four good things to outweigh one bad thing. So for example, when I said my day's been a total write-off, despite so many good things happening, one bad thing is equal to four good things. So you know this, you need to know this going forward because you know if one bad thing happens in your head, you need to do four good things to make it okay again. And it seems strange to me that a good and a bad don't have equal value. But again, that was insightful about this brain, about this book, was discussing how our brains have always focused on the negative. Through evolution, we have needed to focus on this evolutionary way of being in order to keep ourselves protected, in order to make sure we survive in the environment that we live in. But the environment that we live in now is so vastly different than the environment that we originated from. We're not hunter-gatherers anymore. We don't need that level of protection. It it perfectly in the book. It says life is no longer nasty, brutish and short, as Thomas Hobbes described the plight of early humans. But psychologists have found that even the most most affluent and long lived people still see it that way. When researchers asked adults in the United States, Canada and India, whether life is long or short and whether it's easy or hard, the North Americans were no more Sandra Saint- Barely one in eight of the North Americans considered life to be both long and easy, while a majority considered it both short and hard. The optimists, not surprisingly, were significantly happier than the pessimists. They were also more public-spirited, more likely to vote, donate to charity, and to do volunteer work in their community. We are not where we used to be, but we are totally oblivious to how far our society has come along. And I think this is what makes this podcast so important, because if you can start acknowledging these things in your head that are putting these barriers up on your happiness, you can achieve so much more. So as I said, the first thing that I really took from this book was that four good things need to compensate one bad thing. And this is particularly important in relationships. So when you fall out with someone, you need to acknowledge, and obviously I'm talking about a minor fallout we're not talking full stage argument that's probably going to take more getting through it but when you fall out with someone you cannot just go back to being normal it is going to take four good experiences for you to be back on that normal wavelength with that person and that really that made so much sense because I've fallen out with people and you know when there's that waiting period I just used to call it the waiting period before it kind of got a little bit less awkward but that's not it it's so much more productive to rather than I would just leave this waiting period as a kind of, oh, I don't really know what to do with this time, but we'll just let it pass. Now I know I productively need to make four good experiences happen, and then we'll be more back on an even keel. The next thing that I really took from this podcast, of this podcast, the next thing I really took from this book was how it is better to fulfill promises than over promise. So, One of the biggest issues I have is I get caught in the moment and I will promise someone something. I'll say, oh, let's do this plan together. Let's go for coffee. Let's go for ice cream. I have so much free time. And then I will get home and I will look at what I have on my plate and I'll think, fuck, I cannot fit that in. I cannot fit that in. And I have promised it to them. And now I'm going to let them down. Because in that moment, it felt really good to say that to that person and make that person really happy but what i have taken away from this book is that it's so much more positive to not let someone down than to promise them something good because the power of that bad response the power of letting them down and that negativity will last so much longer than just promising them something a little bit lower and fulfilling that promise so they might you they will remember less they all forget the good thing that you did much much faster than the bad thing that you did and so if you can start changing the way that you make plans with people the way you make promises and the way you hold yourself accountable into being I only say what I can actually do and I don't let people down that is my main priority my main priority is not doing everything to make you happy my main priority is making sure that I fulfill all of my promises to you making sure that I can always do the bare minimum if that makes sense, promise the bare minimum, then no one can get disappointed is kind of the gist of it. Because that negativity of that experience will last longer than the gratitude for how happy they are that you did that for them. The next thing, which I think is pretty, this wasn't too kind of dissimilar to what I knew before. But it was how when you have a bad moment, You can't just use the negativity of that moment to overweigh everything in your life. You can't just accept that something bad's happened and move on. You need to use that bad moment to make something good come out of it. You need to start focusing on how you can learn a lesson from that. And a really good way to learn lessons from bad experiences is what I've found is writing it down. Because this allows your brain to be more logical and rational and you can see when you're spiralling. So let's say, I don't know, you fall out with someone and you say something really horrible and that is the bad experience. You're just a bit of a dick. In my head, if I just think about that experience, I tend to spiral and I'll start getting really anxious and I'll focus, I'll switch it to suddenly focusing on me and my emotions and now I feel really panicked. And that's not actually helping anyone. That's not helping anyone with your relationship going forward so if you can start writing it down you can see logically what has happened you can learn something from it and then you will improve then your relationship will get better then you'll start to make active changes and that massively massively helps the next thing that I learned that I thought was really interesting was think before you blame we are so quick as a society to judge and blame people when someone's late Rather than being like, oh, they've probably just had a busy day. They're probably just, you know, they're, cut, they're on their way. Everyone is so much more likely to be, oh, they're late again. How could they do this? They don't care about me. They don't love me. They don't want to spend time with me. And I have found myself doing this. It's when someone doesn't respond to you. And rather than thinking, you know what? They have a lot on their plate right now. they are responding in a time. It's nothing to do with me or them. It's just they have a lot going on. And being more respectful about that... I know that I can just think, oh, they just don't have time for me anymore. They're way too busy. And that is so unhealthy and toxic. And it's not fair because it's not the case. And this comes down to the fundamental attribution error, which is where we forget that everyone is only fundamentally human. We are only human and everyone is just trying their best. And by blaming someone, you create them as other You forget that they're also a human being trying their best. You forget that they are just the same as you. They're just trying to get everything done and they are doing the best that they can. So next time you think something, someone's not paying you the attention you deserve. You think something's not clicking right or you feel like someone's really let you down. Just take a breath and realise are they or are they just being a human being who has a lot on their plate right now? Do I need to be a bit more empathetic and forgiving? Because that might be the case. And by doing that, you don't blow up a situation that will cause so much more harm than good. Because as we know from this book, the power of negativity is so much stronger than the power of good. So if you blow something up and all of a sudden you can't... If you blow something up and cause this massive negative experience, that will stick for a while. So you need to know if it's worth it. So next time you think something's happening, take a breath and reason it to yourself and give them a second chance because it is probably not what your brain is jumping to because your brain will jump to the negative reaction. And that I found interesting, very interesting. The next lesson it talks about is in arguments. And the biggest part for this was to not be baited. When someone is arguing with me, I think I can be very quick to jump And I can be very quick to stop listening to what they're saying and start preparing what I'm going to say, which is exactly wrong. It's the wrong way around. It shouldn't be like that. When you're in an argument situation, you need to not be baited by what they're saying. If you can learn to be in control of the argument and in control, not in control of the argument. I said that wrong. If you can learn to be in control of yourself and control of how you act and conduct yourself in the argument and not respond to their emotion the argument will solve itself so much faster and the person you're arguing with will also learn that skill because arguing doesn't solve anything if you have an issue you need to discuss it it's through discussions active discussions with plans and action plans afterwards that things actually get resolved it's not through shouting at each other but this don't be baited out I know I can be baited out sometimes I know people can say something if I'm in an argument and I will just Go and I will say things that I don't mean that are irrelevant to the argument that really just bring people down and it's not fair and it's not productive. So that's definitely something that I'm going to take away and work from. I think that also feeds into my next point with only respond, don't escalate. Only respond in something that is going to be more productive. You shouldn't be saying things that are going to make this more of a... Like, Negative situation, which is what we were saying again, in how this should be a discussion, not an argument. You need to rephrase it in your head. You're not fighting for your cause, you're trying to find a common medium in this disagreement. The next point, because in the end, avoiding the bad is more important than doing the good. So, if you can avoid the bad in arguing, if you can avoid the bad in causing a negative reaction, it is far more important than buying your partner flowers all the time and buying your best friend, I don't know, taking her out for lunch and doing all these good things. Because if you can manage to control yourself in the arguments that you don't have a bad situation on your hands, that will ultimately create a more long-lasting relationship. We think that it's all, if you argue loads and then you do loads of gifts and everything, then it's all fine, but it's not because the power of that bad situation will be far more long-lasting than the gift that you buy to make up for it. So if you can train yourself to avoid these bad situations, you will benefit massively, 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 massively. The next point that the book makes is how kind of taking it away, it kind of steps away from relationships and goes more into how our brains respond to negativity. And it refers to it as the brain's inner demon. So the example that they use, and they always use an example in each of the stories that they tell, which I found really interesting, and it kind of made it much more realistic to me to see how these tactics have been applied in real life. And the point that they make is about this Felix, who was a free dive, free-diver, not free-diver, free-jumper, and he was the man who jumped from the stratosphere onto the ocean. Like It was incredible, such a high feat. But he was terrified of the suit that he was in. And it was through cognitive behavioural therapy, but also training his mind to release the negativity and fear he associated with this, that he was only able to do that massive jump because he tried to do it twice. No, he tried to do it once before he actually succeeded in doing it because he had a total panic attack about getting in a suit. And bear in mind, Red Bull had invested millions of pounds into him. Millions and millions of pounds because training someone who was training at NASA's headquarters—that is not a cheap feat. Sorry about the pun, but it is not. But through this, he learned to free the fear that he had with it, so that he could access these good things that were coming. And one way about doing this, and I think this can also apply to I like I get really anxious, and I know things that I can do. I know that sometimes my brain can feel like a runaway train and that's how they describe it in the book. When I get anxious, my brain just goes into overdrive, I'll start scrolling, I'll try and distract myself and it just doesn't work. But by freeing the fear and pausing and closing yourself down from it, you stop the impact of that negativity on your life. And the way they tell you to do it is to calm yourself in a way that is... So, for example, if you are on your way to school... And you get really anxious on the way to school. You need to make your brain realise that that is not a bad situation that you are in. School is not bad. You will be okay when you get there. And one way to do this is by controlling your mind so that once it reaches each stage point, so I don't know, halfway you might start feeling sick. And the way that Felix taught himself not to be nervous of going to the NASA headquarters, because it was getting to the point where he was having panic attacks on the way, was that he would get to halfway. And when he started feeling sick, he would stop and he would calm himself down until he realized that he was okay, And then he would carry on. And by having these step points in, he managed to control his nerves. So his brain wasn't like a runaway train anymore. It wasn't taking total control over him anymore. He was breathing and he was calm and he was present and he was able to control that emotion. And I think we can all take that into our everyday lives. When you start feeling these signposts, the emotional dashboards I've spoken about before, when you see things going off, you need to stop because something's not right. And the thing for me is when I get like that, because it's not a point where I'm at, it's more like I need to do something to get myself out of the slump. And the thing that I do is I can go for a run. If I go for a run, I know I will feel less anxious afterwards because it's shaking that anxiety after me. You need to find what your plan is and create this action plan for when you start feeling this negative emotion so that it can't control you anymore. And if you manage to implement these for each stage, you can create a coping strategy that means you can pretty much do anything. Because if you can manage to control your mind in these situations, you're pretty unstoppable. There's not a lot that can go wrong. Once you've noticed this and reciting a coping statement also helps... So whilst I was running, I start thinking about what's going on and I recite to me, my coping statement is, no one is against you. You're not being attacked. You're safe. You're okay. You're loved. Everything is fine. Because a lot of my anxiety will start to stem from me thinking that I'm... I'm never being attacked by people, obviously not physically, I mean verbally... It's never like that, but I have got that in my head and I think everyone's against me and having a go at me and that I'm not fitting in and that that's going really badly. But by going for a run, that's my first thing. I get my brain out of its headspace of feeling anxious and then I start reciting my coping statement of, I'm okay, they're not against you, they just want what's best for you. You're okay, you're loved, you're safe, you're happy, you're successful. Everything is okay. You are Okay. I feel so much calmer, and then when I come back home, by the time I step through the door, I'm in such a better headspace to come to terms with what I was stressed about before. So that has been really, really helpful for me. And I think the final thing, because I've got to go, guys, I've got a train to catch. The final thing, well, there was a few other points they make about how penalties are more influential than rewards. So if you need to do something, it's far more better to tell yourself you won't get to do something than giving yourself something to do when you get it. And I know what they mean, because for me, I would tell myself if I don't revise this, then I cannot go out tonight. And that would motivate me more than if I do revise this, then I can go out tonight because I also could just stay at home and that would be fine. But if I knew that I had already made the plan to go out, but I would have to cancel if I couldn't go, that was far more influential than doing something good. So that's definitely a tip I would use if you are, I don't know, at uni, at school, or if you're just needing to motivate yourself to get things done. That has really, really helped me. And the final point they make is about The Pollyanna Principle, which is, I don't know if you've watched it, I have never watched it, but it's a film where this girl has a pretty horrible life, I can't lie, and she plays this game where she's grateful for everything. And I mean, one of the cringiest sentences is like, She loses the ability to walk and then she's like, but at least I was able to walk. She always finds the positive and that's the game, the Pollyanna principle, finding the positive in every situation. And this is a rule that is also repeated in The Secret, which is a book I'm reading at the moment, which I'm also completing. It's a 28 day gratitude process, which meant to attract more abundance and good into your life. But I really just wanted to start being more positive and it's really helped with that. And I think... When you find yourself in a negative frame of mind and you find yourself complaining, stop yourself and realise, okay, I went out for food and the food was awful and it was terrible and you see yourself complaining about the meal, stop yourself and think, okay, the food wasn't great but I had a lovely conversation, the waiter was really, really interesting and so helpful and kind. I had a lovely drink. I got to get out. I left the house. I went for a walk. Try and find the positives in something. And if you stop focusing on the bad of that experience, you'll realise it wasn't as bad as you think it was. This has happened to me so many times of the I think it was a really bad experience that I had a miserable time and it was rubbish and just a total write off. And then I'll look over it and I'll realise it wasn't all that bad. It really wasn't. It was actually pretty great, just something went wrong in that because of the negativity bias is the thing that is dominating. But I need to run because my train is in 10 minutes, no 20 minutes, and I am not yet in the car, but that's fine. Have I bought a train ticket? No. All these things are going wrong, but we're moving, it's fine I hope you're all having a lovely week and next week's podcast will be a little longer I promise, I've got one episode of This Is Us is left and I was sobbing last night the final episode, I need someone else to watch it so we can discuss because (sighs) It's intense at the moment, but I hope you'll have a lovely weekend and I'll speak to you soon. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at you've got mail underscore pod. And I now have a TikTok account, which is also at you've got mail underscore pod. So it's pretty easy to find. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Love you. Bye.